and welcome to Golf Only Better, our US Open preview podcast where we look ahead to the country club at Brookline, our third major championship of the year, and plenty of storylines to discuss. It's been pretty hectic in the world of golf the last few weeks. Delighted to be joined once again by Ben Coley of SportingLife.com and Dave Tyndall, Betfair Golf Tipster. Chaps, welcome once again. So, yeah, I think we might need about an hour's podcast just to talk about Live Golf and what's been happening the last few weeks. Um, but, Ben, let's start with you, first of all. I mean, look, we've all had an opinion on this. There's been so much in the media. The first event in London happened uh, last week. Where do you stand on it now, having reflected for a few days? How big a threat or otherwise do you see Live Golf now in terms of the PGA Tour? Um, I know this will sound like it. I'm just sort of dreadfully set in my own opinion and, and unwilling to move from it. But I kind of think now what I thought before, which is when you've got that much money, I wouldn't rule anything out. Mm-hmm. I'm not ruling out the idea that in five years' time that's that's golf and everything else is secondary and the DP World Tour's disappeared and the, there are no pathways for young players and things like that. Um, but I thought the, the event itself was pretty rubbish, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the organisers on the ground and, you know, I've heard from people who had a good time that the Spectator Village did look good. There were a lot more fans than I would have thought there would be when they were charging 70 or £80 a ticket. Shows what will happen when you say just come for free, uh, which is what they should have done in the first place. So there were some successes, no, no doubt about that. But what I watched on Saturday was utterly soulless. Um, Charles Schwartzel never looked like losing. Didn't really care if he did lose. Um, Henny Duplessis, I'm sure, wanted to win. He's not won an event of any real magnitude yet in his burgeoning career. He's still got loads and loads of money, um, and that's great. But it, it was soulless, and you contrast it. I mean, what a day for golf Sunday was. Um, you know, what Lynn Grant did in Sweden, I think hopefully that doesn't get lost because um, she was so far the best of the L.E.T. players in that tournament. It's ridiculous. We're, we're talking one of the most dominant things that's ever happened on that tour. Um, and then it happened to be uh, in with the men as well. And and she battered all of them. Truly amazing. And then Rory McIlroy goes and beats Tony Finau and Justin Thomas, you know, three of the good guys or so it seemed. I, I just thought it laid bare the stark contrast between the things we love about sport and the things we have to accept about sport. Um, and hopefully the, the, the former triumphs, because, you know, that's why we're all here talking about it, right? We love the sport and there was no contest. Yeah, absolutely. Dave, let's get your opinion. And Ben said it, and I thought watching the action in Canada was truly special. I mean, one of the great Sundays on the PJ Tour. It couldn't have gone better for, I guess, Jay Monaghan, kind of the commissioner on Sunday in terms of the advert for the PJ Tour and what it means on the world stage. Just, Dave, let's get your take on, on what you saw on Sunday. And well done, Ben, for mentioning, Grant. That was absolutely spectacular. But yeah, just what happened on Sunday and how you now see the threat of Liv going forward. Yeah, obviously... Um... Rory got his little Greg Norman dig in by saying, yeah. <laughs> "Now I've got one more win than someone." That's someone, yeah. named, uh, Greg Norman. So yeah, it was weird, wasn't it? It's, it's like you can't script it. Somehow it happened, didn't it? With, with firstly Lynn Grant, and then obviously what we see now as the good guys all coming to the fore, and you know, three genuinely t- super talented, nice fellas. It couldn't have worked out better. Um, just, just on live, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of wrote a few tweets as it went on. I tuned in for fifteen minutes on day one and just thought, Ugh. couldn't be bothered to watch it on day two. But I thought, I'm, on day three, I decided. I think this Ben wrote a really excellent article about it, and I sort of 
was onto something similar as well. I tried to watch it as if Amnesty International had, had sponsored it on the, and it was their event and all the money was going to go to charity. So I tried to watch the actual entertainment, if you can call it that, on view, rather than not just pick snidey remarks at it because it was, you know, because it was from Liv. But it wasn't any good though, was it? The team element was ridiculous, just a non a non thing. Just a, it was just the course wasn't that good either. Was, I don't know. It was just and and the it's hard to get away. Every time the commentators said something like, and this putt could be worth like eight hundred thousand pounds, like ah, stop saying money things. It's vulgar. We don't ca- we don't care, do we? There's there's people children who can't afford to eat school dinners, and you're going on about that. Oh, it was it was vulgar. So. I have gone back, so I haven't viewed it as an Amnesty International event at all. But when I tried to, I just thought the actual sporting merit was poor. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has got an opinion. I, we've just been chatting a little bit before the start of our podcast, Ben. I mean, what the significance of the players who've gone, we've now seen Patrick Reed, we're now seeing Bryson DeChambeau. How do you see the player roster looking going forward? Is it... Has it surprised you, some of the names that have been announced already, or is it kind of what you're expecting? Fans' favourite, Patrick Reed. I think we're supposed to call him now, according to Jerry Fox. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's like watching North Korean state television at times. Um, but um, I've, a couple have surprised me to some degree, like Martin Keimer surprised me, and that's because I'm naive and I'm stupid. And I see, I do, I'm, this is a criticism of myself. Too often I see things as good and bad, black and white, you know, um, and I thought Martin Keimer was the sort of person who would say no thank you um, but he's got his own priorities in life and I, I try not to judge the people I do think broadly in this we should I'm not saying we shouldn't criticise them um, but like anything try and judge the institutions and, and where it actually comes from and, the, and the, the machinery at work rather than making a specific judgment on one person whose life you don't really understand uh, and who may you know who's to say and this is me being romantic again who's to say one of these players isn't going to take all that money and invest it in grassroots golf in their home country and actually make something good come of it, right? So I don't like to get too personal about it. Um, but so far, no no name has gone that's really ups- uh, shocked me. That's a better way to put it. No, yeah. no one has properly shocked me. And by, the, by that, I mean a, a world-class player. The best player they've got is Dustin Johnson, who has not been performing like a world-class player for a couple of years now. And that's not just, obviously, he's a magnificent player, one of the best of his generation. But when they get a Hovland, even a Cantlay, um, I will... I'll be upset if that happens, but you know there'll there'll be no denying that represents a, a step change. I think at the moment, uh, and I said this to you both before. You know, again, probably a bit naive, but if if you're John Rahm, who will have watched the Canadian Open um, and will be offered, you know, uh, something like 150 million dollars to go and join this project, I like to think he watched the Canadian Open and realised that he's in the right place. Um, you know, uh, money does talk, but these guys grew up dreaming of something and it's a big, big change, a big, big thing in your late 20s to completely change what your entire life's focus has been um, because someone's offering you loads of money, wherever that money comes from. Um, you know, they're all in it for the sport and um, most of the ones that have gone across so far either don't have long-term financial security 
okay, better than my long-term financial security, but it's not, you know, you can't guarantee uh, wealth through the rest of their lives or they're not competitive anymore. Um, yeah. and, and until they get someone that is financially secure and competitive, um, yeah, it sort of washes over me a bit. Yeah, and I, but that's why I probably with the Bryson, you know, he kind of doesn't fit that potentially that age range or career. I mean, he's on the ascendancy, isn't he? You look, he's all looking to add more major championships and all the rest of it. But I agree. I think it, it's hard to always judge, isn't it? We, we don't know people's situations. And he said, and Rory said that, he said, I don't blame anyone. I'm not casting doubt. I'm not saying, I'm not criticizing anyone. But right now, I want to play on the PJ Tour. And for me, that's where the best players are. And that's where I want to be. And Dave, before we get, we're going to obviously move on to the US Open in just a second, but just to, we have to reflect and we'll talk more probably on Rory in terms of the betting. But to see Rory in that sort of form, often he is, I think it is best, something I've talked to Paul McGinley a lot about at Sky, when he kind of has a, his back against the wall or point to prove. I felt like Rory had a point to prove at the weekend. He wanted to go out there and put on a display. But Dave, what, what impressed you most about Rory's performance? I know a lot of the guys are waxing lyrical about some of the wedge play, but how fun was that to watch Rory in that sort of form? Yeah, I mean, we all know Rory can do it. We always think with him, this is why maybe he doesn't win at Augusta. He's got the game to win on every course and particularly Augusta. But So what's stopping him? It's like the mental side. I think his sort of mental side is exaggerated. So that can be for the bad, maybe at Augusta. But in a case like this, I think it was completely you know, an added X factor that really, really worked strongly for him. If, say, that final round had been, I don't know, say that event had been a while ago before Liv had really taken off, I'm not convinced that the outcome would have been the same. I think he absolutely had a point to prove and he he felt it and he thought, right, I'm going to show you. Yeah. And he knew he knew the numbers, didn't he? He knew the numbers. I mean, I, I'm, I was wondering if, if like... It's a shame almost that he hasn't got the same number of majors. as well, It's not a shame really for him, is it? The same number of majors as Greg Norman, then he'd win this week, wouldn't he? say, so, well, I've got three now. You've only got two. Yeah, so maybe, maybe he can add Dustin Johnson and say, I've got more than you put together, something like that. But yeah, I think it was a massive thing. And I think it will carry over to this week. I think he must, that'll still be burning in him. I'll show you, you know, it's such a thing with Rory. It, it, it was almost perfect that it was him that, yeah. that should play out that way. Yeah, and Ben, I love the. I'm a big fan of Rory. Obviously, big massive fan of JT. His improvement in the game, but but as a sort of quality pro as well, I think he's a, I think he's a he's a class act. And obviously, we saw that at the PGA. But the little embrace that they had at the end, wouldn't it be fantastic if if JT and Rory could develop a bit of a, they're good mates, but could develop a bit of a rivalry over the next few years. Yeah, it's fascinating to see. I mean, I know we talk, you know, a lot of sports think they need heroes and villains and people to to want to take lumps out of each other. But they had lunch together before the final round, which I think a lot of people in other sports would find that really odd. Um, yeah. You know, you can't imagine, um, you know, two football managers or whatever, maybe after the match, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, his bottle of wine and what have you, but not before. And, um, and you know, there was a video of the PGA Tour who've been all guns blazing in some respects to try and show what's great about their circuit this week, as you'd expect. You know, they did a really nice little montage of um, how players prepare for the final round. It was very much... Um, banter in the locker room and and it was interesting to see uh, it doesn't stop them performing on the course I think it's a, a, a good lesson it, it speaks to kind of what golf's about really I think um, hopefully that doesn't sound too trite but um, yeah I think Rory said to I'm sure he said a little bit more but he's when asked what he said to Thomas he said um, it'd be great if we can do this again next week and you know now they're the top two in the betting for the for the US Open and um, you know uh, certainly the USGA would be delighted if they got a rerun of the Canadian Open 
and and by the way just briefly three years since fans in canada got got that um and you know we kind of i, I wrote in my preview it was the missing piece of the puzzle in terms of putting everything back together um in golf and and canada had been forgotten a little bit um and it was fabulous to see all those people out there supporting golf in a really exciting way um but not you know dead quiet when it was time to hit a shot it was just brilliant yeah, respectful. And wasn't it brilliant? I mean, the, the guy said it in comms, you know, that it was kind of reminiscent of Eastlake, wasn't it? When Tiger won, coming up the, behind the players on 18, swarming around, flocking, but completely respectful. But the, the waves of people, it was amazing. It was fabulous to see. Um, okay, Dave, it is time, drum roll please, for you to talk us through your methodology as we look ahead to your trends piece that we do ahead of every major championship, this time, of course, for the 2020 US Open. I'd like just to start, if I can, we've had a question from Otters on Twitter, Dave. So he'd like to know how important the trends pieces are in helping you, or if they're just a bit of fun, if he puts particular stock in some trends over others, and if uh, Dave looks at trends for non-majors, but just never publishes them. Yeah, I live my life by them. I've got 10-year trends tattooed on my backside. They're it. They're absolutely everything, aren't they? Um, yeah, they are. I think there's a, a wide knowledge that they are a bit of fun. I think that they were, they started off from the Grand National 10-year trends. I always used to look at those. I'm in the racing post and thought, oh, that's quite interesting. And then I used to um, – there were certain things like, a, you know, no horse over 11, carrying over 11 stone would never win, and they had to be in the handicap. They had to – one over three miles and I used to follow those for a while but then they kind of moved on but I, I yeah so so I, I I sort of invented them from there in terms of what's the most the one I put most stock in possibly the one that says um, you've got to have played well in a recent major mm-hmm. I had a start at eight, of the, eight of the last 10 US Open winners are actually had a top 10 in one of their previous two majors because if you think back to when because I, I think with a major winner, you don't, it doesn't come out of the blue. Very, very rarely it comes out of the blue. So even when Tiger won the Masters in 2019, he'd sort of had a bit of a dress rehearsal the previous summer. It's almost like even Tiger had to remind himself how to win one of these because he went close in the Open that Molinari won um, and in the, in the PGA as well. Uh, so... I do think, yeah, having that kind of confidence boost of a recent good run in a major, I, th- I think that, that's the one that, that I think does definitely stand up. But I know this isn't the sort of maths. We didn't solve for maths last year, and this isn't the sort of maths that put a, a rocket on the moon. So I do treat it as a bit of fun, but I do think there's something in it, and it's fun to do. And, and it always gets a great response. I think of all the pieces I put out, that's the one that gets the most, oh, this is, this is fun. And I think people look at it and think, yeah, I'm not going to absolutely invest everything into it, but it does maybe give you a, a type of a sort of type of person who might win, and 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 it might just add a bit of confidence to to a pick that they've had themselves. So if, if say they were debating between a couple of them, it might just steer them towards one of them. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very popular readers if you're listening and not aware of Dave's uh, trends piece with our podcast. Do uh, check it out on the website. So Dave, what's it on earth then? Tell us how the trends piece in terms of the top of the market, who's it kind of uncovered as the potential victor at the US Open? Yeah, so the, the categories I looked at over the last 10 years were world ranking, nationality, age, US Open form, US Open experience, recent majors form, the one I talked about, whether you're a major winner or not, because we've had this trend where they tend to be won by 
people have not won them before. Uh, current form, course fit, and the week before, whether you played the week before or not. So I score them all out of 10 because it's out of 10 years. And then it used to be, I used to sort of do an elimination thing. It was like a whodunit to see who would be revealed at the end. But then I, I keep trying to tweak them to sort of maybe make them a little bit more robust. Like the age one, I think in the previous one, I used to say, if you're in your 20s, that had happened seven times out of 10. If you were in your 30s, well, it, hadn't, it happened once. So, so what happens if someone turned 30 during the tournament? So that was a bit flaky. So with this one, the age one this time, I've worked out the average age for a US Open winner over the last 10 years is 28.2. So I've sort of scored that in how far they diverge from that kind of average. Because it can be a thing, because in the Open Championship, the average age of a winner, I think, is about 35 over the last 10 years, because more experience is needed on links tracks. But, but the, the sort of modern, the modern trend in US homes is young big hitters tend to do well. Um, so I, anyway, I worked out all the points and I did get a surprise winner, actually, um, or a surprise uh, top point scorer, Sung Jae-im, who came oh, out on top, okay. which, um, which was good because I think in the PGA, it, it, it turned out Scotty Scheffler. <laughs> it was like, all oh, right, well, that was worth it then. But this was... Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so he came out on top. And I think people then say, well, I, do I really believe it themselves or do I just say it's just the numbers that have turned him out? I don't actually. I do actually think he's got a fantastic chance um, based on some of the trends he fits. But other things as well, I, I just think he's a really good fit for it this year. So, so when I started looking, I wrote this last week. So when I started doing my preview for this week and saw him, coming out on a lot of the metrics I'd be using this week. I thought, all oh, right, I'm quite happy to have him on the board. And we, he was 66 to one when I uh, put him up. I think he's now a lot short than that, isn't he? So, uh, yeah, Sung Jae, and the, the, the top, I'll give you the top six. So he was top by a couple of points. Then we had Xander Schaffelet, Will Zalatoris, and Matt Fitzpatrick, who won the US Amateur at Brookline in okay. 2013. Then Scotty Scheffler and Daniel Berg were the next two. Um, Colin Morikawa, Justin Thomas. Rory didn't show up, actually, which is a bit odd. That is uh, odd. Yeah, I think, what's Rory now, 33, is he? Yeah. Yeah, so he was a bit going away from the age thing. Yeah, he's... And then we most... go, obviously, to discuss the, the, the recent form and form coming in and mentally yeah. what it takes out of winning the week before and the point he has to prove, et cetera, et cetera. But, okay, but, in, but interesting. So Sung Jae-in... By a couple yeah. Of yeah. Okay. And I like the shout for Matt Fitzpatrick as well. So, as you yeah, said, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, he's been playing great, hasn't he? Seems to be having yeah. the top 10 every week, Matt Fitzpatrick. So, yeah, w whether he remembers the course as it was will be an interesting thing because I think a lot has changed as we'll come on to in the last nine yeah. years. Definitely. Brilliant. All right. Great stuff. Thanks, Dave. And obviously check it out on uh, the website as well. Dave's uh, trends piece ahead of this year's US Open. Uh, so, Ben, more on the course then. Fame Brookline. We mentioned the, the amateur there back in uh, US amateur back in 2013. Of course, we look back at the 99 Ryder Cup. Is this going to be a typical US Open test this week? That's a good question. Uh, and, and I don't I think the typical U.S. Open test might be changing just a little bit. I think the USGA um, obviously came for a lot of criticism five, seven years ago with not just their setups, but their handling of rules situations and, 
and various little things. And I, I do think they've taken that on board and tried to move with the times and tried to listen to what people want. Um, and I think in time, that might mean that they, they move a little bit away from the, the what we think is the typical test, which is the Reese jones narrow fairway, thick rough. Um, generally, they've been widening fairways a little bit. Um, they've been trying to graduate the rough a little bit. So the worse you miss, the worse it gets. And, and, and just bring things up to date a little bit in terms of what's become popular in, in golf. That being said, Brookline is a, an old classical golf course. The rough will be thick. It'll be one of its big defences. I think the biggest defence seems to be uh, the combination of sort of persistent pressure in terms of like uneven lies and blind shots to very, very small greens. I mean, it's not a particularly long course, but for the length it is, the greens are tiny. Um, they're Pebble Beach small almost, and Pebble Beach is a, is a good bit shorter. So I did think Pebble Beach might be a half-decent guy, but I'd, above all else, I think it'll be really tough. So in that sense of a typical US Open test, thick, rough, yes, difficult conditions, yes. I just think, and Dave's alluded to this already, Basically, the role of honour in the US Open for a long time has been a uh, fantastic driver of the ball. Um, while I do think that will remain, I think there might be a bit of scope for a Sung Jae-in, who is a fantastic driver because he's a bit longer than the average, but he also hits a lot of fairways. So I'm not saying we're looking for Kevin Kisner, um, but we might be looking for a Sung Jae-in, a Colin Morikawa, who, you know, these guys who are, they get it out there 300 yards, but they're not Cameron Champ. Um, and I think that's a a very definite change from the last two years, which were certainly winged foot. We saw what Bryson did, but Tory Pines as well. Um, length is huge there. I think it'd be a little bit less significant. At least I hope so. Otherwise, uh, most of my selections will struggle. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get on to your selections then in a bit more detail. And and yeah, I always, I always, I always love covering the US Open from a sort of journalistic point of view because it always throws up some great stories. And I always, I always love the mental challenge that the US Open uh, poses. But as you said, we've seen couple of examples the last few years when numerous under par and obviously then they've had maybe a bit of a backlash the year after. So I, I do think it'll be interesting, but I think obviously fame venue, looking forward to going back there. I think it's going to be a special week. Uh, Dave, for you then, so Sung Jae-in came out as your winner. Let's have a look at a couple of the markets then. We're going to talk about the exchange in the sports book as well. Um, each way bets. Let's have a look at a couple of the names that have, have taken your fancy in terms of uh, that market for this week. Yeah, so Sung Jae-in is very much the trends, and I, I can then pretend that's nothing to do with me. It's just the numbers sure. speaking. Yeah, my although if he wins, I'll be all over it. You watch. If, we will. My, yeah, my actual pick then is Tony Fee now. I okay. think he he fits so many things this week. Um, he's in great form for a start. Runner up at the week at the weekend in Canada. I think he's got another second and a fifth in. Uh, two of his other four previous starts. He's suddenly really turned his game. He's, I, I like total driving this week. It's the combination of distance and accuracy. All his figures, yeah, on the season-long stats, he's not brilliant, but his recent numbers are all really good in that department. And the fact that this course looks different, doesn't it? If you've seen all the flyovers and the, some of the early pictures, it's, all, it's quite rugged and rough and rustic and just looks a bit different. I always think Tony Fiena is one of those creative players. If, if you just put him on a, a bog-standard, PGA Tour track every week, he'd get a bit bored. But if you look at his results, he does well when he sort of goes out of the country, play well in Canada, Puerto Rico. He's come to the Open Championship and done well. So, so when majors, which always are a bit different, aren't they, to, to the regular affair, he always is fantastic, Tony Fino. He's got so many top tens in them. And, and I don't think you could find 
apart from your, your absolutely top guys like Rory and Justin Thomas, I don't think there's anyone in better form right now than, than Tony Fino. And he's, he's proved it in this event, fifth and an eighth, and two of the last four years. Got a lovely touch around the green. So, yeah, he, he was the one that, I know his price has come in and there might be people who think it's coming too far. But when I, I wrote my piece this morning, I, Monday morning, I, it was 30 uh, for, with 10 places. So, so that I, I felt that was fine. Uh, I think he might have been clipped in a bit then. But Tony Fino, Andy's such a lovely guy, isn't he? So that he was- is, without doubt, one of, the be- one of the best guys, one of the nicest guys on the PJ. So I'm totally with you on that. And I remember talking you said about sort of the major record a few years ago talking to him he just said look I love majors I love I love difficult golf courses I love the challenge of majors I feel like I'm one of the best players in the world I feel like I can compete and yeah he's a he's a class act and yeah I think that that performance on Sunday will do him the world of good for next week um Ben what about you in terms of your fancy to win and a couple of each way bets uh, I've gone with John Rahm first and foremost yeah. I, I thought it you know, uh, it's kind of probably my default a little bit to sort of, you know, one of the best players drifts a little bit. I'm, they'd, they'd be the first ones I look at. But essentially, he's playing really, really well. Uh, I don't think you can really find great fault with him. You know, won the US Open. He was third at Pebble Beach, where, where I think we could get some good form clues. This has been done fairly recently. Brooks Kepka won the US Open back-to-back. Curtis Strange did it, his first one uh, being at Brookline. Um, it doesn't happen often, but it, you know, it, it, it certainly feels to me more achievable than defending the Masters, for for instance. Um, and basically, you know, finished tenth at the Memorial last time. And he drove it terribly, and I sort of started off thinking, well, that's a bit of a worry because he's the best driver in the sport, or one of the best three or four. And then I thought, well, he finished tenth, driving it terribly. Um, if if that's just a one-off, and he very very rarely struggles with the driver. Um, then that suggests to me we we should be upgrading him rather than downgrading him. So I thought of the top four, the big four names in a tournament that is invariably won by a brilliant player, um, 16 to one about him rather than 10s, Rory. I I thought that was a fairly easy decision for me. Um, A little bit of a bigger price, the the two I went for sort of each way to to give myself three sort of properly world-class players were Patrick Cantlay and Colin Morikawa. The criticism with Cantlay would be the same as John Rahm big tournaments this year he just hasn't delivered in any way shape or form um i don't think that is necessarily something to rely on too much i do think i agree with dave that the best trend of all the major trends is recent good major form but um you can't usually have everything and i think he's he's essentially one of the best five players in the world and you can get 28 to one um i do think the course will suit and just on morikawa briefly i mean it looks like he's a bit out of form doesn't it but that's just what he does he just you think he's out of form and then bang. Um, and and I thought of all, I, I don't necessarily think the US Open will be the easiest one for him to win. Obviously, he's only got two more. Um, but of all the US Open venues, I, I thought Brookline being a little bit shorter, tiny greens, which with his iron play, which remains good, um, will be good. And and a bit like Rahm and, and a couple of others I was quite interested in. Um, I wondered, okay, they're all going to miss a lot of greens this week, but it's very, very thick grass, very different to Southern Hills. And sometimes that sort of neutralizes skill around the greens a little bit. Um, that would be my main complaint with thick rough. And I think we've seen that with Hovland, who I looked at, you know, at Bay Hill this year when it was brutal and the rough was really thick. He, his short game was fine because you just sort of hack it out. Um, so I did look at him as well. But yeah, Morikawa, Cantlay and Ram, my three, uh, you know, three big names. But I think the, the winner will come from the world's top 25, top 30. And uh, hopefully one of those three will give it a good go. 
Yeah, and Morikawa as well. We talk about the, the mental strength and that he's so so kind of calm and even keel. And I think patience always comes into it at US Open test. So I think, yeah, like liking Morikawa. And Dave, a new place offering as well for each way betters this week at the US Open. Uh, betters can choose their uh, place terms with sportsbook each way bets with eight, 10 uh, or 12 available and the odds changing accordingly. How might that change your strategy or punter strategies uh, for this week? Yeah, obviously, when you see 12 places, it is a bit of a trade-off. But in, in certain players, um, there's still great value in 12 places. So so my big outsider is going to be Seamus Power because 12 places, you suddenly start to think, well, you know, finishing 12th isn't impossible for someone like him. And he, he's already done it. He's only played in two majors and he's finished 27th and 9th. That's some start, isn't it, to your majors career? Because I think beforehand, yeah, he was a... He was clearly someone rising up the world rankings, but you're thinking, yeah, but what would he do in a major? Well, he's he's had a great start, and I always think like the U.S. Open. They always say it's a you know you you can't fake it. It's an, an all around test. He you look in the um, all around stats, and he's in there in the top ten. You know, what are you doing there? So it's kind of he's got a lot to his game. Fourth for bogey avoidance, which I think is another good U.S. Open stat. Got a calm head on him. He's ninth for greens and regulation this year. Plus, when we're in Boston, I presume there's going to be loads of Irish there, so that'll help him. Um, <laughs> so if someone, you know, I think it does really open up, doesn't it? 12 places. You could just drift around, have a good last day and finish 11th. And, you know, Bob's your uncle and, he, and he's got the each way play. So he was the one I thought had a quite a lot going for him at, at a big price. Because I think with 12 places, you you do want to start looking down the, down the odds, don't you? You want to make the most of that bit. I mean, I suppose you can play, you can go the other way and think, I genuinely can't see this player at the top end of the market finishing outside the top 12. So that gives you, that's another way to look at it. Yeah. In which case it's like an each way back to nothing. But yeah, it, I was flicking through them all, looking at 8, 10, 12 and doing the little trading off. But for him, for Seamus Power, yeah, I thought a three-figure pr- price and 12 places, I thought that was a, a nice combination. Good shout. And what about a side market selection for this week's US Open? Yeah, I've, I've been trawling through them. There's obviously loads to go at. I think I, I'm not certain on the value. I'm sort of still digging around. Um, but but I guess it's fairly interesting. Some people will be the hole-in-one markets. And what I thought was interesting about this, you'll hear a lot about it over the coming days, about this 11th hole they've added to the from because Brookline's are sort of I think it's 27 holes and they just seem to have just picked a few from everywhere changed the routing entirely and, and tried to solve it with with Gil Hansen's team and I'm sure they've done a great job but one of the additions is this 11th hole and it's a drop um drop shot par three it'll be a less than a wedge so it made me think of the seventh hole at Pebble Beach and I think that's very much the the, the thinking behind bringing it in um and you can get something like four to five four to Five, eight to eleven for there to be any hole in one this week, and I know that's not going to get anybody particularly excited. But we did have a nice winner at the same price in the USPGA, and I, I looked at Pebble Beach. There have been six US Opens there, and at five of them there was a hole in one, um, eight in total. Um, there were two hole in ones at Winged Foot, and and these are shorter par threes than we sometimes see. And I think there is a way you could maybe do it on day one and day two. You can have 130 for each of those nominated days with the sports book. Um, if you back them both. If there's a hole in one on either day, so you're getting 300 odd goes at it, um, you're on a 
on a winner at just above evens. But if they both win, of course, you get paid out twice. So I thought that was quite a nice way to play it. Um, and just one other, I, I think David Lingmuth to be the top Swede again, um, not necessarily the most famous player and appealing to the mass market here, but there are four Swedes. One of them is Jonas Blix, who has really struggled over the last couple of years for injuries. Um, ball striking has been really poor. Sebastian Soderberg, who missed the cut last week in Sweden. Alex Noren, who also has to travel over from Sweden. Um, and then David Lingmuth, who is 5-1 to one in a four-runner race. The really interesting thing about him is he played the US Open three times and his worst result was 21st. Now, he was a better player at the time. Um, but some players, as Dave alluded to with Seamus Power and Tony Finau, um, this sort of test um, brings out their best side and, and he's played all right lately. So David Lingmuth, five to one to beat three other Swedes, I think will be worth a small bet. Nice. And as ever, exchange, of course, always the home of bigger prizes and the best uh, place for in-play bets. Uh, Dave, who a couple of other names or maybe a, a mega odds uh, exchange back for us this week. Who else is tickling your fancy at this point? Yeah, I had a look at some of these uh, that were um, quite standout prices. Mito Pereira, who could have won the US PGA, he's 95 on the exchanges. I just wondered if you could do something with that because I thought he would be one who maybe after that there would be a reaction. He'd, he'd, he'd just fall apart for a few weeks, but he's played brilliantly since. Mm-hmm. I just wonder. And you look at his stats and they seem to he seemed to tick a lot of boxes as well in the categories that... I think are important this week. So he was worth a look. Aaron Wise is someone I've been backing of late, has done really well. He's 120 on the exchange. I thought that was a, a big price. Again, he's, he's a good driver of the ball. Um, his putting's been improved a lot. Uh, so he could cause something. Davis Riley's been in really good form, 85. Whether you can win a major before you actually win a PGA Tour event. Same with Pereira nearly did it, didn't he? I thought maybe of the ones that who could maybe win it. I don't know, I'm a bit... I think Ben had some reservations on Patrick Cantlay, didn't he? I, I nearly tweeted this week, tell me to stop backing Patrick Cantlay in a major. I don't want to do it. And I didn't in the end. I'm a bit like that with Daniel Berger. I keep following him. Yeah. But he's 75 on the exchange. I just did think, you know, he's, he's, he's good. He, he plays well out of thick, rough around the greens. There's, there's a stat. One of the weird stats, there's a stat scrambling um, from the rough. And Victor Hovland, he's dead last in around the green. Scrambling from the rough, he's 10th. So mm-hmm. Ben was saying before that sometimes... Doesn't like a tight lie. Yeah, so, and he said it himself, he's better from the rough. So he knows he's better from the rough. Um, but, but yeah, Berger, if this was a big monstrous course, no. But the fact that it's 7,200 and a bit, that brings him into play a little bit. Fifth at Memorial last time. There's a few there that, that might do something. Good stuff. And Ben, what about you? What about a big price shout ahead of this week? Um, I guess playing to the crowd with um, most listeners and viewers, I suppose, being from from Europe, I would assume. Um, one of the things that struck me when when looking through it, not only we've had five European winners of this since 2010, after a, I think it was a 40-year gap before that. So there's a bit of random at play here. It's not, I don't think we're going to get five of the next 10 US Opens won by Europeans by any stretch. And all of them were to varying degrees world class all in the top 50 this will be, be in Ben's trends piece next year <laughs> <laughs> um, if you think back to last year Richard Bland was the halfway leader and by the end Guido Migliosi finished seventh now they just finished first and second in the British Masters um, and there are loads more examples of players who arrived in really good form from Europe and we kind of think well you'll get exposed at this level and although it would be a massive shock if any of them won it it's not 
impossible. Michael Campbell, okay, I think he was world number 80 when he won um, the this this event in 2005. So if you think of the form players on the DP World Tour, I would say Victor Perez, who's been mm-hmm. first and second for a strokes gain tee to green his last two starts. Giving me a big headache along the way, but nevertheless, um, forgive and forget, he's about 200 to one, bigger on the exchanges. Ryan Fox, who, the thing with Fox, and he's the one I've gone with, he's, play, he's top 15 every, Every week in Europe since February. Um, but when he played the USPGA, I think he shot 77 in round four. But after three rounds, he was, he was about 12 or something. So he was right there. Um, so Ryan Fox is the one for me. But basically, if you like a European player, you think they're playing well. You know, if you'd have had two quid on Richard Bland at 1,000 to one before the tournament last year, you've been able to get out of that at halfway. And something similar might be possible this time. And what's Fox? Fox is 250 with the sports book, I believe, or thereabouts. Um, obviously, you can take a shorter price and get your 12 places, but um, he's about 300 on the exchange. And like I said, he's playing great, isn't he? And I, I, he's got so much talent. It's not like he'd shock anybody by being right there, I don't think. I've seen his name banded around a little bit and I agree with, with the odds, considering the form he's been in. I mean, on the DP World Tour, he's been sensational. So, yeah, like that. Yeah. The guys at the um, No Laying Up podcast, which is a really good lesson, um, not as good as this one, though. Of course, <laughs> but really good. Um, yeah, they, they played. They played it on the um, media day, and kind of they said it was a little bit reminiscent in style, or kind of had a feel of Irish and Scottish courses. Well, you think where Ryan Fox has done a lot of good work. It's been on those, even that one in the Netherlands a few weeks ago. That was quite rugged, wasn't it? Rugged looking course. So maybe as a New Zealander, he likes that rugged feel. That'll, that'll work well with him. Yeah, I agree. I think it's just, oh, well, he can't do well when he comes to America. He's, he's almost just done really well in America. So it's a big price, though, yeah. really is. Guys, thank you. Excellent stuff, as always. Just about uh, that's it for our time up as we have looked ahead to this week's US Open. Just a reminder, please do gamble responsibly. All T&Cs are on the website. And just remember as well, throughout the week, uh, betting.betfair.com plenty of extra tipping content Steve Rawlings we're blogging across uh, all four days uh, plenty of in-play updates as well three ball and two ball tips throughout uh, the week of the tournament and for those betting during the week uh, the Betfair Sportsbook is giving it one odds boost token per day to boost the price on any US Open selection it's been fun as always Dave Ben thank you very much nice to chat live golf as well at the top and all that is going on in the world of golf right now plenty happening but right now we're looking forward to what should be a cracking third major championship of the year enjoy the US Open and we'll see you back for our next Open Championship preview next month